Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest for you today. He is a master of multiple martial arts. He's a stunt performer and filmmaker featured in many popular movies and TV shows. Welcome to the show, Sambo Steve himself, Stephen Kofer. Hello, sir. Yeah, what's up, man? Been a while. How you been? It's been a minute. It's been <laughs> good. You've been a busy guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. We've talked before about your martial arts, your TV film career, but at a young age, you always dreamed about being in movies, TV shows, things like that. How did you make your break into that world? It's kind of a winding road, but yeah, as a kid, I used to make movies, you know, with my friends on a Super 8 camera, and uh, I went to camp. My parents put me into summer camp for filmmaking when I was a kid, so I did that for like three summers. That's actually the first time I actually really made anything, you know, back then it was on like Betamax, like video. But yeah, so I got started, and then I ended up going to school of visual arts for college. In my mind, it was for getting into the film business. I mean, growing up, I was always in, in the arts. I was also a musician. And so like through a big part of my life, I didn't know which direction I was going to go, you know, visual hmm. art or music or whatever. I played in a bunch of bands, garage bands and stuff in high school and everything. I played piano, a little bit of guitar and stuff. But, you know, by the time college came, I chose art and went to school of visual arts and i got actually a full scholarship to go there for advertising and graphic design and so i figured i would use tv commercials as a way to learn how to do filmmaking then my life took a different path for a while i graduated school i actually started working as an art therapist in pediatric oncology and then oh, i did wow. that for about 10 years all the while though doing martial arts you know and running my gym at night and stuff like that and then in 2006 youtube came you know 2005 or 2006 youtube started but in 2006 i started my youtube channel for sambo and now at the time that was the only sambo you could get on youtube that was it we yeah. were the first I, I challenge anybody out there to find a sambo video older than my yeah. first video <laughs> on my youtube channel you won't you won't find one older anyway so i started making videos again and then basically YouTube is how I got quote unquote discovered. It's how I got my first TV job on human weapon. Really? It's how, it's how the John Wick guys found me. So I, I owe a lot to YouTube, you know, and then wow. the rest is just history, man. Little by little plugging away, trying to get into the industry. It's, it's a slow process to get in, but it's worth it if you make it, but like, just like the stereotype, you know, 90% or more people don't make it, but I got, I got right. lucky. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, man. Because, yeah, there <laughs> even nowadays it's still hard to find Sambo in the States. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, sure. That's a great point, too, because you have multiple styles, Taekwondo, Judo. Uh, I believe you're like a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. But Sambo like that. How did you even get started in Sambo itself? By chance, you know, at the time I was doing Sanda and I was actively competing and, you know, competing also in kind of a rudimentary mid-90s grappling tournaments and doing what I could do, learning what we could learn back then. Back then, we would trade VHS tapes on like on the underground forums, <laughs> or you might know somebody who was a, a blue belt or something like that, and then you would train together. So you learn what you can learn, how you can learn it. Obviously, the grappling world is way more evolved right now, but that's oh, when man. I started grappling. And then I guess in 1999, I wanted to leave the gym where I was training at the time 
and somebody said, oh, there's this guy teaching Sambo over here. At the time, the, the school was called Chow's Martial Arts, and it was a Kung Fu school, but they rented out space to other people. My coach, Alex Barkov, actually lived in the back room of, the, of that gym. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he taught there, and then I started training there, and then the rest is history, man. Sambo since 99. He always, he always said, hey, I'm going to go back to Russia one day. And you're going to take over, right? And I was just, I was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever, Alex. Yeah, sure. But he actually did it one day. I was like, oh, fuck, man, now I actually have to do this, you know? <laughs> so yeah, that's how I ended up opening the gym. And then unfortunately he died. It'll be two years ago in October. So oh, he, man. yeah, he was 80. He died a week shy of his 81st birthday, actually. But Oh, man. Yeah, that's crazy, dude. But you know, even getting a hold of uh, any, not just Samo, but quality Samo instruction. I mean, I get that all the time because we were affiliated under these Vlad Kulikov. And, sure, but um, Vlad, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, we're in Illinois, so unless you go to like downtown maybe, and even that, like you know, as far as competitions, Brazilian oh, Jiu-Jitsu yeah. is probably the biggest thing, and you see Nogi, all the wrestlers try to come in for that, and then maybe some Judo Samo guys for the Gi aspect, mm -hmm. but that's evolved so much, so... What was your training like? So if you kind of take us back when you're like hitting it heavy, like competition days kind of vibe, what was mm -hmm. like a normal week of training for you? Whether it was martial arts, fitness, kind of diet recovery, what's a basic week look like for you? Oh God, diet. My diet was like ramen and tuna fish, man. It's like, <laughs> I wasn't thinking about healthy diet back then, you know, but I was, you know, even before Samba, when I was more actively competing and stuff, I was a lot lighter. I was like around 160 pounds or something. I put, you know, grappling, I actually put on like more muscle than I ever had, but it's, which makes sense. You know, grappling is essentially like weightlifting with a live body. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I trained probably after my, the divorce of, you know, my first wife, we got divorced in, um, 90, 96 or something like that. And I just, and then I also had lost my job that year too. It was like a terrible year, yeah. man. But in a way it was great. Cause I just dove right into training as it was like my therapy, you know? Yeah. I just sunk myself into it. I was I was at the gym every like basically every single day, you know, living in a studio, living in a small apartment, you know, not making a lot of money. So eating lean and stuff and yeah. then, you know, just kind of living that lifestyle, you know. Yeah. And it's very uh, it's, it's a good source of therapeutic. Oh, yeah. To do as well. It's just it's huge. Kept me uh, sane, man. And the other thing, too, is you hear quite a bit people wanting to start a martial art of any kind, let alone Sambo or judo or jujitsu is you know hey let me get in shape first and now i'm gonna then i'll start some classes it's like uh -huh. bro the martial art itself is gonna get in your shape just fine right a hundred percent of people that say that never join it's just that's that's yeah. just an excuse like everybody that says oh i need to get in shape before i join i just write them off it's like yeah you're never gonna join because if you're not disciplined enough to do it now you're not gonna be disciplined enough to do it you're just giving yourself excuse to wait you know and in a way, you're you're just you're shitting on yourself. You're saying I'm not good enough, or like you know, I can't do this. You know, it's not possible for me. Like the notion that you're gonna go hit the gym or like or whatever is just basically you're just full of shit, dude. Like it's just not. Yeah. That's not the way. You know, there's a couple of things like that that you could tell like a student's not gonna be back. But yeah, you know, that's a big red flag. A big red flag. I want you to go tandem right off of that. Oh, someone's been training, whether it's a year, five years, so on and so forth. Yeah. And they quit. And now obviously there's like moving, injury, mm -hmm. work. I mean, there's some real things, but there, man, 
even then, if you really want it and you have those benefits from it, you kind of like a love letter to these guys that get to that point of quitting. I'm sure you have a good insight on good viewpoint on that mindset. Well, it's the same thing. A lot of people, even for myself or for anybody, once you stop training, it's really hard to, to start again. Like the longer you wait to restart, the harder it is to restart. And so it's like, I just tell people like, listen, man, this is like any relationship, any pursuit. It's not always going to be great. It's, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be times when you want to just hang up the gloves and say, screw it. But if you do those, if you do it, especially during those moments, you know, those moments where you feel like you're not good enough or you don't have it in you, or even a more ego based excuse, like I've learned everything I'm going to learn, you know, like right. whatever, then you won't be back. Like you said, there's reasons that people need to stop. They move, they lose a job, you know, there's like legitimate reasons to stop. But it's when people stop because some other reason, you know, like, oh, I need to take a break. Or, you know, like people are like, oh, I can't afford it. I'm like, really? I see your Instagram. You're out. <laughs> yeah. You're out drinking, partying, buying your new PS5 or whatever. You know, you got money, dude. Like, it's just about <laughs> priorities. Like, how bad do you want it? You know what I mean? Right. And that goes back to the same with stunts, too, because like stunts yeah. or this business, like how bad do you want it? It's really, really hard to get in the business and it's really hard to stay in the business. Mm -hmm. And you got to be willing to sacrifice a lot like a lot money time relationships vacations you name it you know and it's the same with martial arts training if you want to be really good at it you got to be all in you know yeah all in and remember why you loved it or got into it you didn't dip your toe in at some point especially you're doing it for years and years mm -hmm. you know there's no real good reason you got to remind yourself of that yeah totally i mean we all start at the beginning and that some advanced people have this affliction where they forget where they started, you know? Yeah. And then they're impatient with beginners or, or <laughs> they don't, they don't have empathy for the struggle that they're going through, you know, or if they don't pick something up at the same rate that they did, you know, like I know plenty of people that were physically gifted mm -hmm. and could pick things up quickly. Those people don't always end up being the best teachers. Mm, interesting. You know, they have to remember that not everybody learns at the rate that they learn yeah. another thing i like to ask you like when you first started not just sabo just martial arts in general i like to ask everybody you know what was your first year like because so, you know not everybody gets a misconception if you get someone's like a, a master in something that they were just this prodigy you know yeah. I, I had to work for every little technique i was not a prodigy in any way i just kept going and just kept going and always pushed through Can you kind of go into like what your first year was like and that kind of concept i don't remember my first year much other than i was like it was like karate daycare man but, okay. but what I, but what I will what I will say is that I am definitely not like the gifted athlete guy. I am the definition of the workhorse, you know, that's nice. me. I'm the one who was not the best grappler in the class that was not the world class competitor. You know, my competition record is like 50-50, wins, losses, like whatever, you know. But I'm the guy who never quit. And I'm the guy who like I even asked my coach this once, you know, like years later the first time I went to visit him in Russia, we were talking and I asked him why he chose me. Like I, I was like, yo, there were, there were better guys in the room than me. And his answer was how many of those people are still training today? And yeah. like, it was almost none of them. And wow. he goes, that's why I chose you. Yeah. That perseverance. Yep. What was your coach's name, by the way? Alexander Barkov. 
Yeah, that's an amazing mindset because that is what it is. And by the time you master any style, whatever it is, you're the 1% of the 1%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty and, much it. And you got to keep, you, you, you don't, you never, I hate the word master personally, but mm -hmm. it's like I never feel like I know anything, you know. And as long as I've been doing martial arts, I still get like these, you know, I still get bouts of imposter syndrome. Where people, okay. you know, like in the back of my head, like, yo, they're going to, they're going to learn that I'm a fake. <laughs> Somebody's going to uh -huh. figure it out. You know what I mean? But we all get that. And I feel like it's almost unhealthy to not get that. You know what I mean? You have to question yeah. yourself. You can't let it take over your life, but you have to question yourself and you have to be grounded and realize that you don't know everything. Look, there are people that there's all these new variations of techniques today. Like, mm -hmm. you know, at one time I was like considered like a top leg lock guy. Some people still think of me that way, but I'll be the first to tell you, like some of the more evolved like meta game, you know, that has evolved over, let's say the last 10 years because of like submission only type rule sets and, and stuff like that. Like, right. I don't know a lot of that stuff. I don't, you know, it's like. I know the bread and butter stuff and, and I'm up on some of the, the newer approaches, but you know, like people just have to own what they don't know. And that's, yeah. that is along with the ego that we talked about that another affliction that a lot of people get is they just don't know what they don't know. Right. And you can't fault people for not knowing what they don't know, but it's like at the same time, you have to be open to continuing to grow. You know what I mean? If you want to, if you want to stay top of the food chain, as it were, you have to keep learning. You just have to. You can't stop being a student. If you do, then you're done. You're done. Otherwise, you turn into like a like a strip mall instructor, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll turn into that, and then you will fall behind. You will yeah. fall behind. Yeah. It's just, that is just the way life is. It's with anything. Yeah. The world progresses, and if you don't progress with it, then you're going to get stagnant. Yeah. Any other job line, people are continuing education on it. It's no different. And now how much did your martial arts background uh, help you get started specifically in stunts? Because you started a human weapon, you know, obviously on there as yourself. I think there's another uh, one or two things after that you were on as yeah. yourself. How much did that help you segue into stunt work? Oh, it was the, the main reason, you know, mm -hmm. and also specifically Sambo, really, honestly. I mean, it was like right place, right time. I mean, I would say more than half of why anybody makes it in this business is luck. It's completely luck. Really? Like who you meet, when, when you meet them, do they like you? Do they not like you? Do you have the right skill at the right time? And I happen to be a Sambo guy at a time when Russians were becoming bad guys and Russian style fighting was okay. becoming a thing. And it's like, it was synchronistic. But the reality is, is we all have doors open up to us. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Every day. And you either walk through the door or you don't, you, you know, you get an opportunity or you don't. I know people that have had golden opportunities to your question in the stunt yeah. business and didn't follow up on it. And, wow. and, and then later on wish they did, but it's too late. Like you have to do it at the moment. This business is say yes now and figure out how you're going to do it yeah. later. Like <laughs> stunt coordinator calls you, you available on this day to work. Yes. And then you go back and say, fuck, I have XYZ <laughs> planned on that day. Yeah. <laughs> now I got to change it, you know? <laughs> That's, yeah, take the opportunity. I love that. I always hated that. Like, you need patience on certain things to grow and develop. But the action, though, why wait? Wait's like mm -hmm. the worst word ever in that regard. Yeah.
Yeah, yeah. I know people that were have been in movies because of a skill set they have. And then let's say you you go into a big movie because let's say you're a pro skateboarder, right? Or there's a guy I, I know in the business, his name is Eddie Fiola. Anybody who's into BMX will know who he is. He basically invented freestyle BMX. He's like legendary in the BMX world. And he got into this business. His first SAG job was a movie back in the day called Rad. I don't know if anybody oh, remembers yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. BMX movie, right? So he got into that film. And then he could have just, after that, decided like, okay, well, that was cool. I did a movie. And then move on. Or he could decided, I really dig this, man. But you guess what? How many BMX movies are there going to be? You know? So now I got to start learning all the other stuff. I got to start committing to learning how to fight, learning how to fall, learning how to do rigging, learning how to, you know, handle weapons, you know, you name it, like learning how to slide cars, learning how to do this, learning how to do that, learning how to shoot and edit film. It's like, you have to commit to it, you know? So there are a lot of people that I know that have had an opportunity. They got into a movie because of a skill and then they just didn't continue. And then wow. years later, be like, Hey, Steve, can you help me with this? And I'll just be like, you had the door was open to you like years <laughs> yeah. ago. Yeah. Like it was open. And then you don't see it, right? You don't see it. Some people and it, or some people just realize, you know, Hey, this isn't what I want to do, you know, which is, which is cool. But if you do it and you decide like, wow, this is something I really could do, then you need to just start doing it. Yeah. Don't come back in four or five years and say, hey, I want to do this <laughs> because people will have forgotten who you are already. Right. You need to work at it while you're fresh in people's minds. This is the same in uh, in martial arts. Like, you know, you're only as good as your last success, but people remember your failures for right. a long time. Just talk to any BJJ student and say, hey, name one of Helio Gracie's victories. Right. That's a good point. That's a very and they're good gonna, point. And they're going to say, like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but he lost, didn't he, to, to Kimura or whatever. Kimura. And people remember the failures, dude. They don't remember the victories, generally speaking. You know, the nerds do. The nerds You're do. You're right. Yeah. That's yeah. so interesting, though. But the average people. You should like yeah. to go talk to your students. Yo, yeah. guys, yeah. name a victory. I can't even, you know, I, I can't even. Even I'm having trouble thinking of it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Or, you know, they spin it where it's like the victory was the loss because it promoted it and use yeah. samurai. But yeah, you're right. Or you go on your comments on your YouTube thing you just put on there. And you, the one thing where they someone said some shitty Oh, <laughs> shitty yeah, comment. Whatever. That's part it's, of it. That's that's part of putting yeah. yourself out there, man. Oh, 100 percent But that, yeah. that's that's the funny thing. People do dwell on that aspect or look at the news or any popular media Yo, outlet, you know. I, there's a podcast I listen to, filmmaking podcast called In Love mm. with the Process, right? And recently on his Instagram, he did a whole breakdown of the Instagram stats, which of his videos reviewed the most and stuff. And one of the things he had been doing recently was putting up the reviews of a movie of his. He did a short film and he was putting up the reviews that people had put on like IMDb and, and stuff like that. The negative reviews got like 10 times more views. The positive reviews, like almost nobody paid attention. You know what I mean? <laughs> but the negative reviews are what drive traffic. <laughs> oh, that's great. So that basically we should switch this interview to talk all about the drama and bullshit. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can we can spend two hours shitting on people. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I mean, that'd be its own thing and be successful. 
You know, this is very interesting because you've had an amazing career and it continues to be amazing. And this is more like a goal setting question for people. So like sure. people like, you know, people always say, hey, where do I see myself in five years? Which is a very uh, logical approach. But, you know, if you were to talk to the Steven young growing up, like, hey, I want to get into movies. I like martial arts and talk to the Steven today. You know, what mm -hmm. would that conversation be like and goal setting in that concept? Uh, that's interesting because I sort of ended up back where I wanted to be. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. even during times in my life where, you know, I started out wanting to be in movies. I didn't want to be a stuntman. That's for sure. I, hmm. I didn't. I mean, I knew what a stuntman was. I was more interested in being behind the camera. You know, hmm. in fact, as a kid, I wanted to do like um, special effects, makeup like all oh, you know making models you know like my my library as a kid was full of like behind the scenes of star wars behind the scenes of raiders of the lost ark behind the scenes of american werewolf in london like all these oh cool yeah you know all these movies like i was really interested in the visual effects and the makeup art and like the special effects and i mean how many models did i blow up you know build build battleships just to blow them up on and yeah. you know you know just destroy them and make little movies and stuff and make dioramas i mean so i definitely thought i was going to be behind the camera not in front of the camera but my parents might tell you different because i guess i was <laughs> that kid that was always like a ham and putting on a show and okay doing, they, doing they stuff. Knew, right? yeah they they <laughs> could tell but still i ended up not doing it for a long time it turned out to be it at one point it was a dream that was not achieved hmm. and it wasn't like i didn't feel like i missed it or i wasn't mm -hmm. pining for it you know when my career went a different direction after college i wasn't like oh man this filmmaking thing didn't happen but it ended up happening i don't know it ended up i feel like i would tell my young self to not do anything different every single thing that i did got me here like yeah. all of it, all the, even the struggles got me here mm -hmm. for better or for worse, terrible relationships, going bankrupt at one point, having mm -hmm. to borrow money from my family just to survive. And like all that stuff got me here. It was terrible. Wow. There's those mid 90 years. Like when I hit bottom, it was, it was like fucking shitty, but somehow that got me here. You know what I mean? So yeah. who knows, dude, I would yeah. say just do what you do. But maybe the one hint I would tell my young self was there's this thing called stunts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like it'll take all your interests and put them into one thing. Like I never, I was always doing martial arts and I was always interested in film. And it wasn't until like I was an adult years later in my 40s where somebody said, yo, you should do stunts. And I was like, oh yeah, the fighting <laughs> stuff, the filmmaking stuff, it's all together. So I'd probably plant that little seed but in the end i ended up here yeah so. and that's so profound too it's so and also the show that again you know going behind the scenes on your journey so to speak yeah it's not this yellow brick road that you just seamlessly no. fall through with no barriers no 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 i had some really some really bad you know like all of us we're humans yeah. on this planet i had some really fucked up shit that happened some really low times in my life yeah i would just tell everybody like at that point i'm very existential i'm very much like is your choice how you're going to handle that you know what i mean Ooh, like i like the way you worded that it's yeah. like because i know a lot of people who never end up where they want it you know it's like i'm in part lucky because of timing and who took notice of me like you can believe in yourself all you want but you can't believe in yourself 
to success if somebody else also doesn't believe in you. Like you can completely believe like I'm going to fucking do this thing. But if somebody doesn't give you a chance, if somebody doesn't take a risk on you, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know what right. I mean? Like somebody yeah. has to believe in you. And I got lucky because people, there were people who believed in me. So, and I know people that have had goals and work ethic, but just didn't have the right opportunity. Wow. So, yeah. and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Like if a door opens, you've got to walk through it at that moment. That's your opportunity. You never yeah. know when opportunity is going to appear and you have to be ready to just say, yes, you can't and listen think, for it too. Yeah. Yeah. And to know that like for stunts, for example, we don't have agents, we don't have managers, we don't have like what actors have. We have to do it all ourselves. And mm. you're going to spend years and years and years losing money. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Not making money and not getting jobs and lots of rejection. Submit yourself for a role and get rejected. Mm. Submit yourself mm. for another role, get rejected. You got to be willing to go knee deep in the negative. You know what I mean? Right. It's just like on the mat. You want to be a good grappler? There's going to be years of you getting smashed. Yeah. Yeah. And years of you feeling like, man, I suck. I'm never going to be that good. Am I ever going to be good at this? Am I ever, you know what I mean? There's going to be years and years of it. And it's the same with the stunt and film business. It's exactly the same. You got to be willing to lose a lot of money. It was probably like let's say it takes some for some people it takes years to just get in the union right the screen mm -hmm. actors guild and then once you're in it takes years and years and years to earn enough let's say to qualify for health insurance you know what i mean wow. or to work enough where look i i don't even work enough that it, it could be my only job it's a tough job i'm lucky i have the gym you know yeah but I also made a decision. I'm going to dovetail my business to cater to that industry. You know what I mean? Like yes. I'm going to make my gym cater to actors and stuntmen and stunt women. So I'm always involved somehow in the industry. And then, you know, I stopped coaching fighters back in 2015 around the same time I decided to do stunts. I resigned as the head coach for USA combat wrestling. I quit all the board. I was on several boards for different organizations. I quit all of them. Like I decided this is what I want to do. Yeah. And then the only thing I didn't change was the fact that I, you know, I own a gym. But what I did do is change the focus of the gym. I started making training opportunities. Obviously, I still train grapplers and stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? I still train martial artists, but we made time slots. This is for stunt people to come in and practice. Yeah. You know, we started marketing it slightly different, like using different language, like to attract actors and stuff like that. You just need to be all in, but you have to be willing to suffer a lot before you get there. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause you have New York combat Sambo, your gym starting 2003. Um, mm -hmm. And then what you're talking about here is break fall studios. Yeah. And yeah. You, we have like yeah. whole things where you're like showing guys how to do it. And, and there's some great footage. Definitely check out Steven's Instagram. He's got some good footage of like guys on fire and doing high yeah, falls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not well, just fight sequences. Yeah. Yeah, Breakfall Studios, my longtime friend, student, and partner in that in that business, Paul Veracci, we started that together. We both decided at the same time, like, we want to get into this stunt business. And that was in 2015. Around that Excuse time, me. okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we went to this Fighting for Film workshop. 
met a whole bunch of stunt people from the New York area, aspiring stunt people and also, you know, working stunt people. And one of the common themes was that there was nowhere for people to train. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, I own a place. So we started a, an email list, started an open mat, basically just for stunt folks. The rest is history. Now, you know, almost 10 years later, people recognize Breakfall Studios as a thing. Like when stunt people are coming to New York from other places to work, they hit us up. Oh, cool. Um, wow. You know, they'll come train. Like we're getting known as a place for people to train fighting for film as opposed to just fighting. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's a slow process. But again, it's just about making a decision to do it and willing to wade through the mud and the sludge and the yeah. slow process of it before it actually becomes a thing. You know, it's the stereotypical overnight success that took 10 years, you know, right. or whatever. <laughs> now people recognize us, but 10 years ago, who are you guys? Like the first time that the guys from John Wick 1 came to my gym, and that was in like 2013. Actually, that's how Vlad Kulikov got cast in that movie was because they came to my gym looking for Russian bad guys. And I was like, oh, my buddy Vlad would be perfect. And then, yeah. and then I told Vlad about it. He went to the audition and he got cast. So that Amazing. was really, I mean, you think about it, 2013, that was 10 years ago, right? Look at from that point, I had no idea who those guys were. 10 years later now, I've taught at their place in L.A. So awesome. it's like you just have to believe but like I said before, man, if they didn't believe in me, like Chad Stahelski, the director of the John Wick, if he didn't believe in me that I was capable, then I wouldn't have had that opportunity. So it has to be. Wow. And he found me on YouTube. So there you go. <laughs> there we go. See, it keeps paying in dividends. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, I want to name a couple of things off here and anything that incites an amazing memory for you. A story behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, part yeah. Of the Blu-ray here. <laughs> okay, yeah. This is so, the DVD, the featurette. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You know, I remember last time you were on, you had an awesome sequence you were talking about with The Punisher, the TV show, The Punisher, mm -hmm. uh, like a stairway kind of hallway scene. Can you kind of go into that and other cool memories from there? Well, Punisher was a fun memory because it was only my um, third union job and only the second stunt coordinator I'd ever worked for. My first two jobs were on the blacklist mm -hmm. working for... Court Hessler, who was the stunt coordinator at the time, he coordinated the whole all 10 seasons of that. And then he ended up also directing and, and other things. But uh, I've, I've worked on Blacklist a bunch since then. But he was the first person that took a chance on me and then hired me again. You know, here's a perfect example. Like he booked me on an episode to just play like a, you know, mercenary bad guy, guy with a gun gets shot, fall down, like whatever. But I was the henchman for the bad guy of the week. Like every okay, week, yeah. you know, they have the bad guy of the week. So he was being played by Brent Spiner, who is like data from Next Generation Star Trek. So I was already like nerding out because I'm like yeah. a Star Trek fan, right? So I got to be in a bunch of scenes with him. But most stunt people, right, our faces are hidden or whatever. But that one, I was actually kind of like my face was all over the place. And then I got shot. I did my little fall, like whatever. And Court didn't say you did terrible he didn't say you did great one of those like no news is good news i guess right okay. but you, you know you walk <laughs> out at least i walk out thinking man i must have fucked that shit up he didn't say a word you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. and then two weeks later i got booked again so i was like oh i must have been pretty good all right not too bad i didn't piss anybody off and then the next job after that was punisher wow. and that was i mean that was already like 
2017, so long ago. But yeah, I don't know. Every job is fun. You learn something on every job. And in terms of like favorites, obviously Wick 3 was great. Yes. Because Chad gave me like a decent amount of responsibility on those couple days that I worked. In terms of coordinating what was going on in that Sambo training scene. We did all the casting for that at my gym. We did oh, all the really? audition. We did all the auditions for that at my gym. I worked with the wardrobe people. I worked mm-hmm. to make sure it was all authentic looking. I provided videos and research footage of what gyms look like in Russia, Ukraine, Serbia, like different places around the world to try and give it some authenticity. And then, of course, I was in the scene playing one of the coaches and had a student of mine was in there too, Victor. Victor Severin was in there. You know, on the day he. <laughs> you hear on the walkie-talkie, like I'm in, I'm in what's called holding, right? Which is where you're waiting to, where you're just kind of hanging out and waiting to go on. And then you hear on the walkie, Chad is like, "I need Sambo Steve on set. Where's Sambo Steve? I need Sambo <laughs> Steve on set." And then he was just like, uh, "Hey, we need this going on over here. We need two guys doing something over here." You know, he told me he introduced me to the director of photography. This is how we're going to shoot the scene. And then he grabs a PA production assistant introduces me says here you go make it happen you know so i'm the one who told all those guys what to do what to be doing in in the background of the scene while angelica houston and keanu reeves are doing their thing and the two kids grappling right in front of them they're like 13 and 14 they have no idea who even angelica houston is right so i'm like listen you're on this mat right here if you roll and and keanu and angelica houston are going to be standing at the edge of this mat doing their dialogue if you roll into Angelica Houston and tweak her ankle or hurt her knee, I'm never going to get work again. And you're never going to get hired by me again. So don't <laughs> fuck this up, you know? And they're like, I'm like, do you realize who she is? And the guy's like, wasn't she like in Adam's family or something? I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, you have no idea. The young whippersnapper. But they did great, you know? So I gave yeah. them like a, a four move sequence that they could just do over and over and over again. Like, okay. you know? Like arm bar escape to ankle lock to ankle lock escape back to attacking the arm bar. And then they could just do it in a cycle. So no matter when they're, you know, because they, we were shooting that scene over two days, yeah. but they're just doing that same sequence over and over and over again. So it always looks like, cause we shot it for two days, but you saw the scene was like 20 seconds long. So it's yeah. like, it's a lot of work into a short amount of time for that you know and i love that too because that went back into a bit of john wick's character mm-hmm. and upbringing i would watch the absolute crap uh of like a young john wick going through his training and bumps yep. and bruises that'd be amazing that whole franchise is yeah. amazing. i mean every set has a story here's a pretty funny story that i never told on a podcast or anything go for it so it's a funny story. So I'm on that show Nosferatu, right? It was on yeah. FX, right? It was season two. I was doubling uh, an actor, Tim Guinea. He's everybody will know who he is. He's been in tons of stuff. He's a really great character actor, and he was going to get killed. So I had to get gassed. I don't know if you remember those who watched the show. There was like the Nosferatu's, like uh, like his Renfield, like the big heavyset guy who was kind of like getting the kids for him, right? So he had this sprayer like a exterminator might have. And okay, then he would yeah. spray you in the face and then you would pass out. He would come up with you in a gas mask, had the sprayer on shh, like that. So I had to just do what's called a flat back. So we did this thing. It's called a cowboy switch or a Hollywood switch where the actor walks into the barn and then I walk out of the barn. 
You know what I mean? So like, but yeah, when you're fil you're filming it in one shot. So he walks into the barn to get something, but I walk out of the barn with whatever his character was supposed to be getting. And then when I walk out of the barn, the killer guy is there, you know, and then I get gassed in the face and I just pass out and fall, just fall backwards like a board. Boom. And we were shooting on this farm in Rhode Island. And so the, it was all stone. I had to fall, you know, just fall oh, backwards man. on stone. Then the guy drags me into the barn. So just like in combat sports, like if you don't know what you're doing, you always kind of prepare. So like I'll throw a cup on sometimes, you know, just to protect the family jewels or whatever. Yeah. And under my wardrobe, I had a cup on and nobody noticed anything like whatever. But then after I pass out, I'm laying on my back. The way they were shooting the scene was they had the camera was behind a car low to the ground. So they were just shooting out from under the car looking out of the barn and they were timing it. So in the distance, there was this sunset over the farm. Oh. Right. So we had to shoot it right at the moment when the sun was like right there. And so, and all you would see was cause I was laying on the ground. You see my whole body getting dragged, but you only see the guy's feet like, because you're shooting from under the car. So he drags me into the barn, which was like dragging me across concrete, literally. So I'm getting dragged across concrete. He drops me in front of the car. And then the director's like, great, great. Okay, let's do it from one more. Let's change the angle a little bit, get one more angle while we still have the sun. So they move the camera a little bit. They shoot it from a different angle. So he drags me in, drops me in front of the car. And then the stunt coordinator comes out from behind the car and he's like, dude, do you have a cup on? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And then the, the camera, the director of photography comes running out. Well, take it the fuck out. It's blocking the sun. It's like, it's blocking the sun. So like the, my cup with the bulge from my cup was creating basically like an eclipse. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh my God. So I, I'm like taking it out and I hand it to the coordinator. He's like, I don't want that dude. Don't give me that thing. You know, so it's like, I, I put it on the side, you know, <laughs> shoot, the, the director was like, whatever, it's not a big deal, you know, but the cameraman, he was like, yelling. I thought I was, I thought I was done, but you know, the rest of the day we all joked about it, but I was just like, oh my God, there were so yeah. many jokes, so many jokes I could have made at that moment. Oh, but, oh yeah. No, I'm not wearing a cup. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no cup there, dude. But, but yeah. So that was a really funny story. That that's yeah, great. Yeah. Mo movie making magic right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually, I don't know when you're going to put this up, but on mm -hmm. Wednesday morning on CBS, their morning show, mm -hmm. they shot at our place. They're doing a whole thing for Mission Impossible week. Oh, cool. So, okay. Um, like every day they're interviewing different cast members and the director and stuff like that. And then the anchor, Tony DeCoupiel, did one of those. You see it a lot in morning shows. Like, ah, we'll see how tough this stunt stuff really is. You know, like whatever. So he came and trained with us. And we taught him a fight scene. We put him on a wire. We did all that stuff. And they interviewed me about the business. And then Paul, my partner, gets to do a fight scene with the anchor, with the news anchor. Oh, cool. So that'll be airing on July 12th in the morning. So if this, if you put your podcast out after that's over, it'll be up on YouTube. I'm sure just check out the CBS mornings, YouTube, and you'll probably find it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You never know what you're going to be doing with it though. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Also, what would you say is the most dangerous stunt you've ever done? Like without question. I mean, honestly, 90%, 90% of what I do is fighting and falling. And 
I mean, I've been on a wire. I've been pulled like 25, 30 feet on a wire and like 10 feet in the air, 12 feet in the air, like, like that, where I did a gag like that, where we missed the crash pads. We overshot it. And I just took that fall right on the ground. But I mean, I came out fine, but knock on wood, like I haven't had any major injuries, but you know, I've had worse injuries doing martial arts and competitions and fighting over the years, but like everything we do is dangerous. And some people think like the big high falls or the car crashes, obviously are dangerous, right? But more injuries happen on set with the small stuff, you know, Hmm. the, because, you know, the big gigantic stunts, there's so much prep involved, so much attention to safety and things like that, that it's the little falls on concrete when you're getting tackled or getting thrown or, whatever little things like that where you're just like oh yeah this is easy peasy i got this boom you make a little mistake tweak an ankle get a concussion your head hits the concrete little things like that i think where people are paying a little bit less attention it's called normalization of deviance normalization of deviance is where you do things wrong for long enough where you stop thinking of it as wrong interesting i mean it also goes with martial arts right like yeah uh, sure the most common injuries happen Obviously, if you get caught in a takedown and your ankle rotates or uh, the thing you didn't expect to happen. You know, all of us coaches see students doing things that are dangerous all the time and nothing happens to them. And then on on a level, they start to believe that that's okay to do that. And even though we know from experience, like one of these days, man, you're not going to get away with that. And that happens in all aspects of life. We have a don't walk sign, but it looks cool. We don't see any cars, so we run across the street. 99% of the time, we're fine. Until that one time, we're not paying attention. We get hit by a car. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's called normalization of deviance. That happens in stunts, too. You know, let's say I was on an episode of organized crime, law and order organized crime, and I had to get shot in the back. I was playing a Ukrainian. There It was a scene in the from the Ukraine-Russia war. That's going on now. I'm playing just like a Ukrainian civilian that's getting massacred, right? So I'm like running down this hall, this outdoor, like kind of building structure. It's all concrete. Probably did it like 20 times, 15, 20 times. Just get shot in the back, fall on your face on the concrete. Kind of like, okay, let's do it again. Let's move the camera. Do it over here. Do it again. All right, let's do it over here. You know, so it's like cumulative. I did it on Blacklist, too. I was playing like a dock worker for a bad guy. And I'm trying to run away during the raid. And the SWAT guy tackles me. And he had to tackle me in this very specific spot because they had squibs. For those who don't know, squibs are like little explosives. When you see the bullet holes go across the wall, bah, 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 those are all like little explosives set up. So I had to get tackled right beneath where the bullets were going to hit the wall. Uh, well, in this case, it was like a bag of uh, like we we're in a, a dock bag of like rice or whatever. And they had the squibs in there. And so I did it like six or seven times fine. But one of the times the gun, like when we get a prop gun there, like it's a real gun, but the par- the barrel's plugged, right? So you mm-hmm. can't really do anything with it, but it looks real. We always try to not damage the guns. <laughs> the props yeah. people don't like when you damage their stuff. So like yeah. when you're doing a fall, you're always trying to protect the prop. But that one time, because I was doing a front fall because I was getting tackled from the back. My hand with the gun bounced off the ground and bust, oh. you know, hit me in the face. Like the gun smacks me in the face. So I ended up going back to my going back to my one, which is the, when they say back to one, that's like your starting mark. 
and I had a bloody nose coming down and like, it was oh, still man. during COVID. So we had to have, you know, masks on. So my mask was getting soaked <laughs> with blood. And my friend, Chris, his name is Chris Gombos, a veteran stunt guy, really cool dude. He was like, dude, go tell court. Uh, you could maybe get a little bump. You know, we get a stunt adjustments. We get like bonuses, like if we get hurt or whatever. Oh, okay. And I was like, nah, it's all right, man. I just took the spare mask out of my pocket and used it like a just applied pressure. Just, I was like, I don't want to be that guy that's going to stop the show for a busted nose. You know, there's a lot of that. Little injuries happen just in the things that you think that you know well enough. So the lesson there is never think you got it all. Always be aware of the safety issues, even on the simplest things, because usually those are the ones where things can happen. Like I just yeah. did a, a scene on this show. It's not out yet. It's coming out called feud it's a season two of a show oh. and i'm doubling the actor that plays um truman capote right tom hollander oh. for those for those who watched white lotus he was in the most recent season of white lotus but you know it's not a big stunt heavy show but there was a couple of scenes where he's being abused by his partner and then there was a driving scene and so generally they won't allow the main actors to do a driving scene if there's like for example in this shot there in this case there's drone shots right so they're gonna have the drone flying with the car coming down by the windows like me driving this awesome 1983 mercedes down this country road whatever so it's just more like precision driving it's not stunt driving gotcha but but they won't have the actor do it because what if there's a failure with the drone or the drone crashes through the windshield or something? They don't want to hurt the actor. So like right. they don't care about hurting me. You know, that, yeah, that's what, right. that's what I get. That's what I get paid for. But it's like so what is a stunt very much depends on a ton of factors. It certainly wasn't a quote unquote dangerous stunt. It was literally just precision driving for drone shots. But if there was a but drone still. malfunction then all of a sudden it's dangerous. But I do also love that because you never want a false sense of security. So like, you, you know, mm -hmm. guys that are like, hey, I'm always really a lot of anxiety when I go to a competition or anxious or I'm like, yeah, because you're awake, you're ready. You don't want it to where it's crippling, but like you get ready yeah. to go do something not normal. It's like going to the top of a roller coaster, bro. You got to be can't yeah, ready yeah. to go. You can't go to sleep right now. Yeah, nerves. <laughs> nerves are a good thing. They're there for a reason. Keep us on our toes. You can't, yeah, like you said, you don't want to be paralyzed with fear, but Fear, fear is a natural response that our body goes through when you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> it's tell, yeah. it's like the warning signs, like Star Trek. It's like, you know, right. you're, this your body's saying, don't do this. Like on yeah. devs, I had to climb out on the ledge of a six story building to double the actor that was supposed to be going out there to stop somebody from committing suicide. So like, obviously they're not going to have the actor climb out on the side of a building. So I did it. And it was like safe. I'm on a, I have a safety line on. Obviously, like if I did fall, I'm going to be hanging and there could be other injuries. I could swing and hit the building, smack my head on right. the building. I could be unconscious. The line could snap and I could fall six stories, which probably wouldn't happen. But, you know, right. it's always possible. It has happened. Right. I mean, that happened to Triple X's double. Uh, what's his Vin Diesel's double on one of the Triple X's? He ended up jumping off a balcony on a wire and the wire system failed, Yeesh. you know. So, you know, you, you try to mitigate all the risk again, like the normalization of deviance, the other thing that people often do in all walks of life. And I see this in gyms all the time, grappling gyms all the time, which mm -hmm. is people don't plan for failure. They plan uh, for success. They plan for everything's going to work out fine, but I can't tell you how many gyms I've been in that don't even have a first aid kit that, um, right. where the instructor 
doesn't know CPR or where there's not even an ice pack or, you know, somebody gets hurt and they're like, where's the nearest hospital? Like, you know, just yeah. basic things that you should do in your gym to make it safe. Like how many, I mean, come on, let's be real. The jujitsu, and I'm not like clamoring for like added regulation to our businesses, but it's an unregulated business for the most part. And so, you know, there's nobody except the instructor himself that's going to tell him, yo, you need to do your first aid CPR certification, you know? Right. Hey, you need to have a first aid kit here that's well stocked with stuff that you know where is the nearest hospital and how long it takes to get there. You know what I mean? Basic. And it's basics too, right? I mean, basic procedures for if somebody gets hurt. Like, how do you handle concussions? I, I mean, listen, you know, more people probably die of, I don't know this statistically, but the concussion in a fight, let's say you, you go to an MMA fight, you get a concussion. That's not what's going to kill you. What's going to kill you is you going back to the gym and training with that concussion. Mm. That's what's going to kill you. I had a student who got a concussion and I said, sorry, dude, you're not coming back for 60 days. Or a letter from your doctor that you're cleared for contact sports again. But vast majority of the gyms, just see you next time, you know? Yeah. Man, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. It's been amazing catching up with you. I just love just all aspects of what you do. You got the martial arts side of things, of course, but that combined with the stunt work. And just how a lot of the stuff you brought up, it not just relates to martial arts and stunt work, but just people listening it relates to kind of any walk of life and what they're going for. It's, it's been amazing concepts. I love it. Yo, dude, everything we do on the mat is a microcosm of what we do in our everyday life. And people should never forget that. The mat is where we rehearse real life. How you handle yeah. struggle on the mat is going to how you handle struggle in life. How you handle success on the mat is how you handle success in life. And how you handle relationships on the mat. It's all, this is, that's your safe place to practice life skills. And if you're in my student, some of those life skills are how to properly sweep and mop the fucking floor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll end on that note. (laughs) Have a good one, man. Take care. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.